0: Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. I'm your Bible teacher today, and we are diving deep into 2 Chronicles as we study the kings of Judah. And why are we taking the time to study the details of their life? Well, friends, it's because they stand as great warnings to Christ's followers today. You know, studying the lives of these kings, we draw, we extract principles out of their lives that can save us a world of mistakes, a world of heartache, a world of bad decisions. So I'm glad you're walking with me through this series. If you've missed any of these sermons, I want to encourage you to download my free mobile app. It is Awakened to Grace, and you can get it wherever you get your favorite apps have you ever considered becoming a partner with us you know it is because of listeners just like you on whatever platform you're listening on right now that we are able to take this kind of gospel teaching and spread it as far and wide as we can and when people just like you come alongside us and you support us through faithful praying and through generous gifts well friends you allow us to be able to not only maintain our platforms, but to go even further and advance the kingdom of God. Why don't you pray about becoming what we call a grace giver? And grace givers are those who stand shoulder to shoulder with Awakened to Grace. You can learn more about that at AwakenedToGrace.com. If you want to know the platforms we are on currently and how the Lord is using us right now, Go to com slash ways to listen, and I hope you are blessed by how many ways God is enabling us to spread his gospel. www.awakentograce.com slash ways to listen and consider becoming a grace giver today. Well, let's go to God's word. We're examining today the boy who became king and oh, what principles we are going to learn today on this episode of Awaken to Grace. As we get ready to look at Jehoram in Second Chronicles twenty-one, I want to share with you a little bit about where my thoughts have been this week. I began a book on Thursday. I try each year I average about a book a week that I read. And I love to read and now that I'm blind I listen to audiobooks but nonetheless I love to I love to devour books and Thursday I begin a book called The Accidental President. It was on the presidency of Harry S Truman. By the way, do you know what the S stands for in Harry S Truman? Nothing. His parents were divided between her grandfather and his grandfather, which both started with an S, and they couldn't make a decision. So they said, ah, we'll just leave it at S. (laughs) Isn't that funny? He was born in 1887 in Missouri. And I've so enjoyed this book, The Accidental President. It chronicles how he came to the office of vice president and, of course, FDR died in his fourth term, early in his term at the end of World War II. And I'm paying attention to what this book is saying and what's happening in our country today. And it's all converging for me. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm an avid news listener and I keep my ear to the ground. I, I'm, I'm watching what the climate of our culture is. I'm watching the divisiveness of the country. I'm watching all that is unfolding right now at the speed of light. And then I'm going back and I'm paying attention to history. Progressivism and this far left ideology, the seeds were really planted with Woodrow Wilson. They were flourishing under FDR. But what surprises me, even though had I been a pastor back then, I don't believe I would have aligned with those men's thinking. But even at that, at a greater altitude than that, what rose above those issues were the values of our nation. Now I'm studying Harry S. Truman, who was a staunch Democrat. Interesting. But even though I would not have agreed with many of their thinking, FDR was the one who wanted to pack the Supreme Court, just so you know that. These men were still greatly respected, greatly looked up to. You know why? Because they, even though I wouldn't have agreed with many of their ideology, they had a healthy view of God. Now listen, I'm going somewhere with this. Even though I wouldn't have agreed with everything with FDR and with Harry Truman, I went back yesterday and I listened to three of Harry Truman's speeches. The first time that he addressed Congress, right after three days after FDR passed, the first time he addressed Congress, I counted it, he named God seven times. Not to mention the church, not to mention spiritual issues, not to mention good versus evil. He had a remarkable sense of what right and wrong were, what good and evil, particularly at the time of the ending of World War II And I find it interesting that in our day, as divisive as what it is, as troublesome as what it is, you look at Harry Truman's administration, which was staunchly Democrat, and right after him was Eisenhower, which was staunchly Republican. And you know what I'm looking at a distance at? Under Truman began the national day of prayer in our country. The day that Japan surrendered unconditionally. Do you know what Truman did? He called for a national day of prayer. And it was Truman's administration that instituted a day of observance every single year in our country for a national day of prayer. didn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican the next administration who was republican under eisenhower's administration came our motto that is printed on all of our currency in god we trust oh how far we've drifted that whether you were left or whether you were right you looked to god how far we are from that today would you agree think the study on the kings is so fitting for our culture. We see the national mistakes that they made. We see the way that they snubbed God Almighty. Do you realize... That in 1863, when Abraham Lincoln gave his great proclamation of prayer, do you realize Abraham Lincoln said, we have become the most prosperous and wealthiest and strongest nation in the shortest time in all of human history. And in 1863, Abraham Lincoln said, yet we have offended the Almighty. Abraham Lincoln said, we have forgotten him. I have not looked at this year's presidential proclamation for the National Day of Prayer, but I looked in last year's, out of 485 words, God was never mentioned, not one time. Friends, we have forgotten, and we are offending God Almighty. Kings is fitting because we see the great mistakes that they made. And we're going to see an enormous mistake today by a king named Joash. I want to begin in Jehoram, and I want to end with Joash today. As I'm reading The Accidental President, which is a fabulous book, and I would recommend it to you, and I'm enjoying getting to know the life of Harry S. Truman, and I have a he intrigues me so much. He came to power at probably the most consequential time in all of American history. All of it. All of it. The first four months of his administration, the most consequential ever. And it's riveting and it's fascinating. And, you know, I, it's, all of these thoughts are just converging for me right now. And in this book, you know, they, they, they document everything that a president does, you know. May 25th, I'll just pull that out of the hat. You know, May 25th, 9.30 a.m., he meets with this person. 10.15 a.m., he does this. 6 p.m., he does this. May 26th at 8.08, he had, you know, it's just, everything's documented. Last night, I listened to a fantastic sermon by one of my favorite pastors, Jim Cimbala of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York. And he was talking, and I'd never thought from this angle before. And again, it just all fits for me. Just the kings and where we are in Chronicles and the way I'm living my life and what I want out of my life for the Lord. And It just all fits for me. And I just finished. I was reading. this. It's a 14-hour book, and I'm eight hours in. But I'm listening to this great book on Truman and all the timestamps and all the documentation. Pastor Symbala asked this question in Mark chapter 1, which we were there in January, when Jesus is baptized. Now say amen if you're with me right now, because I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. Jesus is baptized. And do you remember what the Father said from heaven? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am what? Well Well pleased. Oh, you know your Bible. I love it. And Pastor Simba asked a question, and I, I've never asked this before. And I've never thought of it from this angle. But he said, for, for God to be pleased with Jesus, what did Jesus do? He had no public ministry. It hadn't began yet. He had no disciples. No one was following Jesus at this point. He had preached no sermon He had not done one healing, not one deliverance, not one miracle. He had not raised anyone from the dead or opened a blind eye or opened a deaf ear. None of that had began. So what was the father so pleased with? And Symbala argued that all through his teenage years, all through his twenties. Jesus must have done Just daily life pleasing to the Father. The way he treated his parents. The way he served his family. The way he did his carpentry work. The way he went to work every day. The way he ate his meals. The way he grew spiritually. God was pleased with his daily life. And then I thought about Truman, how everything was documented. And may I remind you, friends, heaven documents everything with us. Every idle word, every prayer, every action, as well as every reaction. Oh, God, help me. You know, where I'm blind, I use the... Google devices and the Alexa devices, and you walk by my office, and you'll always hear me say, "Alexa, <laughs> what's this?" Yeah. People ask me all the time, "Aren't you worried about every, you know, people listening?" May I remind you, my friend, Heaven listens all the time. Heaven records everything. And where all of these thoughts are converging for me is, see, in Chronicles, their lives boiled down to either one of two statements. Either they did what was right in the eyes of God, or they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Huh. Friends, our lives are going to boil down to that. What I appreciate so much about the kings, what I appreciate about those who chronicled this history for us, is that you and I can go back and look at their lives as we're going to do today, and we can make a decision. Are we going to live in a way that's right in the sight of God, or are we going to live in a way that's evil in the sight of God? Everybody with me this morning? Second Chronicles chapter 21, I want you to look at a man named Jehoram. Jehoram. This is the son of jumping Jehoshaphat, <laughs> King Jehoram. Now remember who his wife is. He married that godless woman, Athaliah, who was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel in the north. And I want you to look at verse 6. Verse 6 is very telling. Matter of fact, you should read verses 1 through 5 because it explains why he ascended to the throne. It is because he was the firstborn of his other six brothers. So he did not come to the throne because he was spiritual. He did not come to the throne because he was the most qualified Because he had the deepest character or the highest integrity, he came to the throne simply because he was first. So what he did is he took his other six brothers after his father died and he killed every one of them by the sword. He's a wicked man. Verse number six, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because he aligned himself with the house of Ahab to the north. So rather than following the Lord, rather than following in the footsteps of Jehoshaphat, or even Asa, or especially King David, his forefather, he chose to follow according to the house of Ahab. And he followed in their wickedness. But verse number 7 is a remarkable principle. Verse 7 teaches that even though men may be faithless, Even though men may be wicked, I want you to note verse 7, the Lord would not break his covenant with David. The book of Timothy teaches that while we may be faithless, God is faithful. God does not break covenant. Amen. God could have so easily wiped out these descendants, but no He gave opportunity after opportunity. We're going to see in a moment how he sent prophet after prophet. Trying to warn. Trying to convince. Trying to persuade. But yet they would not listen. Jehoram, according to verse number 12, receives a FedEx package. Priority mail. And who did he receive this letter from? The prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah did not mince words. Elijah said, you have forsaken God. God's going to forsake you. You have murdered your six brothers. By the way, who were better than you? (laughs) I like that jab that Elijah throws. A little throat punch to Jehoram. And he says, and you'll suffer a disease for two years of the intestines, of your bowels. And he gives a very dire prophecy. You skip down to verse 14 and 15 of 21, and sure enough, a disease comes upon him, and he's in agony for two years, and eventually his intestines fall out. I'll share that with you right before lunch. You're welcome. Give me a little more time to preach here. In verse number 20, what is the epitaph of Jehoram? What is his departing like? What does it say? And he departed at no one's regret. What a wicked life. What a way to live. You turn the chapter, his son a Isaiah comes to the throne he's as wicked as his father what happened to jehoshaphat's lineage jehoshaphat so served the lord and now his son fallen by the wayside his grandson followed just fallen by the wayside wicked only reigns a year jehoram only 8 years By this time, you go to chapter 23, Athaliah comes to the throne. Remember, Athaliah is the wicked woman. She is the daughter of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And for six years, Athaliah rules uh, uh, Judah. What a travesty. This woman was so wicked, are you listening to me, she murdered her grandchildren to take the throne September 11th is national grandparents day you would not celebrate her what a wicked woman in chapter 23 perhaps verse 11 i believe what what is the principle of chronicles what is the principle The main principle is that God is not going to forsake his covenant. God is forever going to have a remnant. God is always going to have a people. God's plans cannot fail. God's plans, according to Job 42, cannot be thwarted. God's will is going to prevail no matter what Satan tries to do in these men and women's lives. So the Darkest days in Judah's history. and Athaliah is reigning for six years. And she's the most vile and wicked woman. And she's murdering everyone who's a threat to her. But what does God do? God conceals a young baby named Joash. And who is Joash? He is the last son of Ahaziah. He is the great grandson. He is going to be preserved. And where do they hide him? This is fascinating. A, a priest, a godly priest by the name of Jehoiada. The great baby name, if anybody's expecting right now. Jehoiada. He hides him in the temple. And for the six years that Athaliah reigns, murderous, wicked, uh, uh, Jehoiada is raising Joash. Now go to chapter 24 and let me walk us a little bit through 24. And this is where the rubber is going to meet the road. This is where we're going to apply some things to our lives today. So... I've tried to give you the context. I've tried to show you what dark days it is in the kingdom of Judah. Jehoram is wicked as can be, he only lives eight years. His son Ahaziah, wicked, he only lives a year. And now Athaliah has murdered all of her grandchildren. She is on the throne for six years. But unbeknownst to her is a baby named Joash who is going to continue the covenant of God, who's going to continue the remnant of Israel, who's going to continue the messianic lineage. Why? Why? All because, chapter 21, verse 7, God will not break His own word. Amen to it. I don't care how dark things get in America, God's not going to break His covenant with His people. So Joash is hidden. And I want you to look at with me, chapter 24, verse 1. This is amazing. (laughs) The boy... Becomes king at seven years old. Jehoiada arranges it all. If you go back to 23, you can read it on your own time. Athaliah hears the celebration. She walks into the temple. She sees what has happened. She rips her clothes and yells, treason. And Jehoiada says, take her out of the temple and kill her. She's now off the scene, and now Joash is reigning. He's only seven, the boy who became king at seven years old. Now, there's an interesting phrase that I want you to pay attention to in verse number two. Joash, with all of the kings, it either says they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. But Joash is different. I want you to pay attention to this. He did what was right in the sight of God as long as Jehoiada lived. Pay attention to that. I want to talk for a few moments to those who you were like me and you were church kids. How many of you were church kids growing up? I know we're weird. We can't even respond real good. We're like, well, I don't know. Do we clap? do we raise our hand? I don't know. <laughs> Some of you, you are not raised in church. We are your first church. so oh, we welcome you. But there's a word to warning to church kids. I want to talk to you who... Pack out our family life department over here. And we are raising our children as church kids. Say amen if you're raising your kids as a church kid. Well, they'll be a little weird, but that's all right. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as long as... His spiritual influence was alive. Verse 2. I want you to note verses 4 through 14. Joash is so passionate over the Lord. He's so passionate about the things of God that what he does in verse number 8, he commands that the house of God, that the temple be restored. Now this is fascinating to me. Where did Joash grow up? In the temple. Sadie summed it up well. Last night she said, huh, he cut his teeth on church pews. That's right. He grew up in the house of God. He grew up around the things of God. And according to verses 4 through 14... He led a financial campaign to restore the temple and the spirit of revival was in the land and oh, Judah could not have done any better than what they were doing in the moment. But then I want you to look at verses 15 and 16. A change comes. Jehoram, that great godly man, full of days and full of years, he dies at age 130. How would you like to fill that birthday cake? 130 years old, full of days, full of years, and he dies. These scriptures are remarkable to me. Verse 17 Then the princes of Judah come to Joash. They give him bad counsel. And what does it say, verse 17, that Joash does? Listen now, listen. He listens to them. Oh, let me warn you, people of God, you better pay attention. Oh, you better be so careful who you allow into your ear. You better be careful who you allow to influence you. You better be careful who you allow to take you certain places and to influence your way of thinking and to get you around certain people. There is a warning to the people of God here. The spiritual influence in his life was removed and this church kid, this kid who grew up around the things of God come to find out he had no relationship with God. His spirituality was based on other people and not on his relationship with God Almighty. How many of our children will grow up the same way? The only spirituality they will know is their church. The only spirituality that they will know is what they see in you. When other influences come into their life, When new friends come into their life, when this godless culture comes into their ears, what will they do? Verse 17, he listens. He listened to them. What a consequential verse. And now things are going to change rapidly. I want you to look at verse 18. How is it that a man who is so passionate for the things of God, how is it that verses 14 through 18, he restored the temple of God, that now, I'm sorry, 14, forward to verse 14, and now in verse 18, notice what it says, he abandoned the house of God. Shocking. Friends, as a pastor, Do you realize how often I see this? Do you know how many counseling sessions I do? Where someone sits in the house of God. They worship, they pray, they follow Jesus. And then a few years later, they walk away from God. How is it? How is it? How is it that people who are around the things of God, loving the things of God, giving toward the things of God, and then sometime later, they abandon it? <coughs> oh, let me tell you, it's highly possible. And it happens all the time. Here's my question Will it ever happen to you? Will it ever happen to your marriage? Will it ever happen to your children? Will it happen to your own soul? You know, the Puritans taught not only are we saved, and thank God we are, but they taught the idea of being saved, continuous sanctification. I think we need to get back to that kind of teaching in today's church. That not only am I saved, oh, my friends, I am being saved. Amen. That two years from now, I'm not going to fall away. Ten years from now, I'm not going to fall away. Twenty years from now, I'm not going to fall away. You know why? Because my relationship with God has nothing to do with any arm of flesh. It has to do with God Almighty. What are you teaching your children? Is their spirituality church or is it God? What a difference. Joash is a church kid, grew up in the temple, gave toward the things of God, raised. What a fundraiser he was. Look, he raised enormous amounts of money for God's house. And now here he is, verse 18. Pay attention to it. Now he abandons God's house. Is that striking to you as much as it is me? Now, once you look at verse 19, God sends prophets, people to warn him. Just like you pay attention to the phrase in verse 18 that he listened to bad counsel. Now, I want you to pay attention to this phrase in verse 19. God sent prophets to warn him, but what did he do? He did not pay attention. He listened to the wrong people. Friends, I can't warn you strong enough. You better be careful who you listen to. You better be careful. Verse 20. Now, this. listen, the plot is going to thicken. The son of Jehoiada is Zechariah. And look at verse 20. It says, and the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah. Oh, I love that terminology. The Spirit of God clothed him. You know, that's what God does with us today. When the Bible says that you will be endued with power, you know what that means? Clothed wrapped. <laughs> he closed him. Now, my mom made a very interesting observance to me about the king. She she has enjoyed the study and she said she's one she's went on and she's read all of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Cause it's been so intriguing to her from the onset of the series. She told me a few weeks ago. She said, you know the thing I've been thinking about and this is very true. These kings did not have the Spirit of God indwelling them. Think about that. What gives us the advantage? You and I literally, physically, spiritually have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Praise God for it, amen? That when you and I start to go down the wrong road, we feel conviction. When you and I do something that displeases God, the Holy Spirit corrects us. Praise God for it, amen? Amen? And so Zechariah is clothed with the Holy Spirit and he stands up and he warns them and he says, you have forsaken God and God has forsaken you. And what does the king do? Instead of repenting, instead of realizing his error, I want you to pay very close attention to verse 21. The king commanded him to be stoned. Now, how is it? I ask you again. In verse 8, he commands the rebuilding of the house of God, the restoration of it. But in verse 21, he commands the death of the prophet, the very son of Jehoiada. Verse 22 says that King Joash remembered not the kindness shown to him by Jehoiada. How far this man had fallen. This boy king. Who once loved the things of God. And now according to verse 18. Abandoned the house of God. Led Judah to serve idols. Went into idol worship. Verse 19 would not pay attention to the prophets of his day. Verse 20 would not listen to Zechariah. When he was clothed by the Holy Spirit. And prophesied the warning. And now verse 21 commands him to be stoned to death. What a terrible legacy. And where did it all begin? began in verse 17 when he began to listen to the wrong influences. Friends, you and I face the same potential danger. You and I face the same potential danger. Who is the most spiritual influence in your life? Whoever that is. That may be Your mother, it may be a father, that may be a grandparent, that may be a co-worker, that may be a mentor who has discipled you, it may be a pastor or another preacher. I don't know. But let me warn you, your spirituality better not be wrapped up in them as Joash's was wrapped up in Jehoiada. One of my greatest, I've got a number of spiritual influences, a number of them. But let me tell you, if one of them falls because of their clay feet, it has no bearing on my relationship to God, nor my responsibility to God Almighty. Things turned in Joash's life when he hitched his wagon. The wrong people. We need to have eyes wide open to this. Now, verse 22, he did not remember the kindness shown to him by Jehoiada. Verse 23, a small band, an army came down from Syria. Judah should have easily taken care of them, but no. God allowed Syria to prevail because they had forsaken God. Verse 24, he's wounded by the battle. Verse 25, They conspired against him because he shed the blood of Zechariah. And they killed him in his own bed. What a tragic end to a man who had the opportunity to bring revival to the nation. What a tragic end to the man who could have led Judah out of its darkest days. What will your ending be? When your life is boiled down to this, are you doing what's right in the sight of God? Or are you doing what's evil in the sight of God? Like so many of these kings, have you started out well?
1: That's not the real
0: question. The real question is how are you going to finish? And you don't have to be fearful. I meet some people who are so afraid they're going to fall into sin. God will keep you. God will preserve you. It's It's not that you have to be worried that you're going to fall into sin. Here's what the scriptures teach us. Beware. Be cautious. Be mindful. Be sensitive. That you don't fall from your own steadfastness. Scripture doesn't teach be careful that you fall into this gross, sinful state. It says, no, be careful that your foot don't slide. Because you know the old saying, you give Satan an inch and he'll take it what? A mile. And that's true. The old saying, oh, let me get it right, let me get it right. Satan will cost you more than you ever meant to pay. Satan will keep you longer than you ever meant to stay. Guard who you listen to. Guard where your spirituality relies. Is it in the Lord or is it in this church? If your spirituality is in me or this church, I'm just telling you right now, you are going to be mightily disappointed. You will. Buckle up. Brace for it. I'll let you down. This church will let you down. But if your spirituality is in the Lord, then you're going to endure to the end. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for these kings. Thank you for their lives. You know, Lord, if I were the author of the Bible, I wouldn't put this stuff in there. I wouldn't put really bad and negative things. I would want to paint a rosy picture. I would want it to be a a complete blissful rose garden. But your ways are not our ways, and your thoughts are higher than ours. And you put these men and women pages of your eternal word so that we may learn so that we may heed so that we may course correct with your heads bowed and your eyes closed right now do you need to course correct your life are you looking too much to someone else rather than the Lord are you a church kid who once loved the things of the Lord, but now you love the things of the world more? Are you someone that your family is spiritual for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning? But go home and all the wickedness is welcomed into your home. Course correct. Course correct. Cleanse your homes. Cleanse your lives. Ask the Lord right now what needs to change. Ask the Lord what you need to correct. Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.